Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. We're doing great. I'm so happy that we have the ability to walk around and greet people instead of running into our corners anytime there's a chance. Uh, it's great to be here today. I hope you came expecting something today. Anybody come expecting? If we're not coming expecting, we're just going to be sitting here and there's probably not a whole as much impact. It's like a, a, a farmer who doesn't till the ground before he sows some seed. You throw some seed out there, sure, something's going to grow, but not the full harvest. So when you come to a church service, whether it's here or anywhere else that you go, go expecting that God's going to talk to you, not about your neighbor, not about the government, and not about some ideology, but he's going to talk to you. God is going to talk to you about you. If we don't hear a message that's about me, not because it's selfish, but because he's trying to change us from glory to glory, amen? It's not that he's talking about you just because he's, you're just so narcissistic, but you're looking to go, how can I change and be the man, be the woman that God's called me to be? Amen? One of the hardest things for me, though, as, as a minister is this, is that I have... 45 minutes to try to communicate an idea. And the problem is, there are so many caveats to that same idea. You know, Paul says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Faith without works is dead. I can run with that and tell you, you need to be working. You need to be doing more for the kingdom. You need to be at church every single Sunday. You need to be doing, 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 doing. But at the same time, there's verses about resting and knowing your identity and not striving, not working, not living by the law. Can I tell you, our responsibility as ministers is to deliver what we are feeling in that moment. Your responsibility is to take that and apply it to yourself. And look and go, in a balanced mindset, what does that actually look like? Because sometimes in my life, can I be honest, I really, really wanted to hear a do not work message because I wanted to be lazy. Anybody else? Like, I know that I should be doing something, but I'm like, no, I'm not striving. I'm resting. And then there's times where I just wanted to keep working because I didn't want to look at myself. And I wanted to hear a do more message so I didn't have to look in the mirror. Am I the only one who can relate to something like that before? Come on. Today is going to be one of those messages where... Well, you have to know my heart. I don't have the ability and the time to sit there and, and talk about all 66 books in succession to give you a full balanced approach. But we're going to understand that with the topic that we're talking about is going to build every week. Okay, next week we're going to add on to it. Okay, make sure you're here next week because it's going to be very practical in how we do this next week. How many of y'all ever been in a fight? How many people love to see good fights? Can I tell you, whether it's the UFC or some random channel of, of a good M MMA fight, or in the middle of a parking lot, if there's a fight, I'm watching it. There's nothing like, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, where you see these two guys get out of their trucks, and then there's a bit, you know, bickering back and forth, and you're like, okay, whatever, and then you hear something about somebody's mama, and you're like, hold on, hold on, hold on, there's a fight, hold on, and you put the phone up because you know something's about to go down, and you watch it, and it's fantastic to watch. I love a good fight. 
shaking his head. Don't, don't laugh. You loved, okay, how many of you guys like to watch a football game that's 72 to nothing? How many like to see a good game where it's, you know, down to the wire? That's a fight. We like to see struggles. We like to see the, the whole idea going down. Like, I don't want to see, I don't, I don't want to rent a UFC fight and they go, ding, go. And the guy just drops down and walks out. You're like, well, there's 30 bucks. Like, that's not, that's not what you want to see. You want to see the struggle. You want to see the fight. You want to see the brutality of life. Can I tell you, life is a fight. It's a fight. Anybody who's painted this idea that the moment you received Christ, that everything's going to be cupcakes and sunshine and roses, has sold you a bill of goods. That's just not true. Can I tell you, though, we don't fight and struggle for our relationship with God. That's not where we fight. We don't wake up every morning going, man, I hope I'm going to be saved today. I hope, that, whew, are you saved? I don't know, I hope so. I hope so. We're, that's not the fight we talk about. We're not fighting for position in the kingdom. I'm not fighting against Elaine so that I can have more kudo points with God. Can I say, I'm not fighting from a place that I have to fight for his attention, his approval, his love, his acceptance. That's not the fight. But it seems like in our lives a lot of times, my fight is a fight that I shouldn't be fighting when the fights that I should be fighting, I'm not fighting. Second Timothy chapter 4. Go ahead. We're going to open up two passages today. I'm not going to be terribly long today. It's 11 o'clock here, and I think we'll be out way before 12. I hope so, because I'm hungry already. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. It's going to be on the screen here. And it says this, I charge you, this is Paul talking, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2, he's talking now to Timothy. Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, which means when you're ready because you're preaching in two weeks and when you're walking into public and you haven't prepared, make sure your life is at a spot where at any given moment when God says go, you don't be like, I need an hour and a half to go fast and pray. He's saying be ready because you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know every opportunity that God gives you. Can I tell you, staying in that kind of life is a fight. You know what I'm talking about. Because at that time when somebody cuts you off on the highway or they forget to use their blinker or don't forget or they don't do it on purpose and then you look at them and then they flick you off like you did something wrong, can I tell you there's a fight? No, I don't flick them back off, Candace. I said I was sorry. I waved. I wasn't. No, I'm just um, <laughs> She got it. <laughs> He says, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and encourage, God's good, and encourage with every form of patient instruction. I think a lot of times we, we like this to reprove, rebuke, and encourage when I feel like I want to rebuke somebody, I want to encourage somebody, I want to reprove somebody based on whether or not I like Candace right now or not. 
Have you noticed that churches, church people do this on a regular basis? You have two people with identical issues, what it seems to be surface issues, identical issues, but I like him and I don't like him. So here I'm going to be like, hey, I know your heart, buddy. It's okay. You, you're the spawn of Satan. That's what they do. We pick and choose what we want to do based on whether we like that person or know that person, whether we want to hang them out to dry or go, hey, hey, don't attack them. You, you know, they made a mistake. You don't know their heart. I know their heart. No, no. That's not what he's saying here. With patient instruction. Look at that, look at that word. Pa- patience is a fight. Come on, parents. For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but with itchy ears. They will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. This has been happening since the beginning of the church. This is nothing new. Can I tell you, the whole idea of watered-down Christianity is not new in 2021. Paul dealt with it at the beginning. People always want to hear what they want to hear. I want to hear what I want to hear. Come on. I mean, I'm not judging people. Like, I'm just looking and saying, sometimes, so they will turn their ears away from the truth. Listen to this. And turn aside to myths. Myths. Now, biblically speaking, these myths were connected to other Greek gods and Greek stories and Jewish stories, and, and they were trying to tie in all of these Greek, you know, blend in all of these things. Can I tell you where our myths come in today? You too. Somebody wants to compare Christ to another God of ancient times. We're going to be like, okay, that's ridiculous. But then we get into speculation on YouTube about all these myths and ideas, especially about the end times and everybody else. Can I tell you, I was in a conversation with somebody this week about the end times. Can I, can I without hurting anybody's feelings, I don't know if Christ is coming back in my lifetime, but can I tell you, based on my age, these are my end times. These are your end times. You're not going to be here in 100 years. Whether he comes back in that time frame or not, I don't know. But these are your end times. But we like to go and to discuss and to fight and to do all these things about these myths and issues and perceptions and per, per, you know, perspectives of what we think it should look like based on a calendar, you know, and the Incans and the Mayans and everybody else of the world. Remember, 2012 was supposed to be the end of the world. Yeah, I remember that. And I think right now, one of the trending topics is how we are all, this is so funny, we are all part of the matrix. And this is just a big simulation. I mean, Okay. I mean, seriously, like, all right, bet. I mean, oh, well, there's that. <laughs> they turn their self aside. What it is, can I tell you what a myth is? It's a distraction. It's a distraction. It's a tactic of the enemy to keep you distracted. Can I tell you who else it's a tactic by? People who are online to get more views so they get more money. If they can make you believe that what they're saying is this new hidden thing that no one else found, and there was a golden plate that they found somewhere that had this, we'll, we'll watch it, we'll share it, and we'll believe it, because can I tell you, it's a lot easier and for me to believe that, hey, this is all just one big, huge conspiracy of what's taking place versus work on myself. 
work on my anger, work on my rejection, work on my problems, work on my, my relationship with God. It's a lot easier for me to, to click another link, to, to build myself up, to talk about Alabama football than it is to talk about what's taking place in my life. It's a distraction. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Can you all underline that? Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am, Paul, being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Highlight verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but to all who, I love, I love this version, crave his appearing. How I many understand, until you have finished something, you have no respect for yourself in those areas. Paul, in this moment, goes, I finished what I came to do. Until you follow through, until something is done, come hell or high water, through tears and through struggles, through pain, and you go through it anyways, and you show up, and you continue to fight no matter the circumstances. After a while, something inside of you begins to change. When you go through struggle and you persevere, you adapt and you change. Your mindsets begin to change. The Bible says love bears all things. It carries the weight of all. It's able to push through the most difficult times, and I see multiple generations, not just this young generation, not just my generation, but even the generation before me that have not been trained to bear things. We had the World War II generation that took the entire world by storm. And then we've had multiple generations of complainers. Great ideas. Can you, communism's a great idea. It just doesn't work. Everybody equally getting everything? That sounds like a great idea. It just doesn't work. What we're seeing ourselves dealing with are a bunch of people from generations, everybody who's alive right now pretty much, going, it's just not fair. And I think a lot of people have a hard time because they haven't been trained to bear something. Once it gets difficult, it's okay, you can quit. It's hard for a generation of young men to become men when they've had nobody to show them what it's like to be a man. Some people quit things out of control. Most people don't quit because they can control the moment, but it's when you don't get your way, what do you do? When you get reprimanded, when you get corrected, when you get written up at the office, when you go through this or when you go through this or when you go through bad circumstances or bad conversations or immature this or immature that, are you going to quit when the time gets tough? That's a hard thing. See, when you come to church, we a lot of times we talk about the sins of the flesh. We'll talk about lying. We'll talk about adultery. We'll talk about fornication. We'll talk about cussing. We'll talk about lying. All these things, these sins of the flesh, if you will, uh, but there's, there's, there's something that's going on that you can come to church and not have these outward sins, but have an inward sins. Come on. And that weakness goes undetected. I mean, if you're not going out shooting people and mugging people and doing all these things, you can really pass for a Christian as long as you just not get in trouble and post a couple of good memes on Facebook. You'll be okay. 
you can look like you've got all your stuff together. But just because you post a Christian quote every once in a while doesn't mean that you're a rock-solid believer. And as the truth of the matter goes, nobody will know how messed up you are on the inside until the pressure hits. That's where we're seeing this next generation go. I just want you to understand, this is what's going to be taking place with the church as a whole. Is you're going to be seeing what we call the great falling away, at what, no, we, we, what the Bible calls a great falling away, is not just people who are abandoning the faith because they don't like God anymore, but because life got rough and they quit. They quit. Two years ago, five years ago, they were posting, they were showing, they were doing all things because life was good and then life got hard and they cracked. They cracked. The Bible calls these things sins of the spirit. Sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit are something that we have to realize that there's something different there because while one is outward, another one is inward. When I'm over here condemning Elaine or whoever for doing something I can see, but on the inside, I'm not trustworthy. I have no character. I have all these things. You don't see my issues until the pressure hits. This is something that I've noticed that good people who have an easy time controlling fleshly sins. They don't smoke, and they don't drink, they don't chew, they don't run around with those who do. But then you marry them, you hire them, you live next to them, and you watch that facade of fakeness only last for so long, and then you see the cracks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then you look and go, who is this person? I thought they were a staple of the community. I thought they were a rock-solid believer. And can I tell you, anybody can look good, baby, for two hours on a Sunday morning. Jeez, oh, Pete, how many times... Okay, y'all. How, how many times have y'all gotten into an argument on your way to church, threatened to kill your own kid? And then you get out of the car, face is red, bam! God is so good, hallelujah. And you're meeting every single person because you want to look fantastic. We all have done it. Come on, somebody. We've all kept that going because what happens is we keep home at home, we keep church at church, and I can keep it together, and then church was good. Can I tell you how many times as a kid I got in trouble before church? And then we get to church, and my mom and dad look happy as, and I thought, I got away with it. It's all okay. And they're high-fiving, and they're amen, and they're hugging people, and we're talking about lunch plans, and I'm like, and then they smile. All right, guys, we'll see you all next week. They get in the car. You're going to die. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they remembered. No. I thought I had it. That's, that's, that's what we've been doing, guys. That's what we've been doing for years. That's what we've been trained to do. That's what religion has taught us to be. That's not what church has taught us to be. That's not the, what God has taught us to be. That's what people have. You know what people have taught us to be? They've taught us to just smile. Just be fake. Just be, just, you can be you over there. But I don't want your mess here. Because if I see your mess, I'm obligated to help clean up. And then on top of that, if I see your mess, well now I, I don't feel so bad about my mess, and so I'm going to talk to Elaine about your mess. 
And now you watch what's happening and go, I'm not going to show them my mess anymore. You look at a Paul who, when he opens up his mouth, lays out, I was a horrible human being. I killed Christians. I ripped families apart. What would it be like if somebody walked into a church service and be like, my name is Pete. Six months ago, I murdered a bunch of people. So, there's that. Can I tell you something? We look at church now and we see what it is now, but in Paul's day, the chances are that all these churches that Paul was ministering at, he took out some of their family members. It was such a small-knit community at that time. We're not talking about millions of saved believers. Very small community. So small, he knew exactly where to go. He doesn't say, I'm just going to go around Asia Minor and start whacking people out. You know, he, what he looked at, and he goes, there's this church that I'm going to. I'm going to take the road to Damascus. I'm going to take them out. It's a sale. It's a sleeper sale of Christianity. They're in our synagogues. We've heard that they've been talking about Jesus. I'm going to go take them out. He did that for a living. And then he gets saved. No wonder Acts in the book of Acts and look at him and Paul's like, they don't trust me. Well, no joke, they don't trust you. You killed my cousin. Talk about a messy person. Paul was messy. And it, kind of, it took some time for the disciples to trust him. But it didn't take them any time to welcome him. See, that's the difference between the church world that we're seeing right now is that we don't want to bring people in until we know everything and can trust them fully. Can you, can I say, you can never trust everybody fully. Anybody has a propensity to just screw you over. But they went, no, we recognize the sincerity of who he is. We recognize the spirit. Notice the disciples would look at a person like a Paul and go, there's something there. We see the mess, but there's something there. They had to fight for that relationship. We don't fight for relationships anymore. We don't. One person that I thought was my FF does me wrong, next, I'll find another one, then that wasn't your best friend forever. Like, come on. If the moment that they mess up, they say something that hurts your feelings, and you're like, we ain't talking next, that wasn't a fr- That was convenience. All right. People will pass for holy <laughs> until you find out that they don't keep their word, that they give up easily, that they don't complete their assignments. They don't stand by you. You don't stand by them. They may never take a drink to save their entire life, but I can tell you they wouldn't fight in the lion's den with you either. Can I tell you, I'd almost rather... I wouldn't say almost, rather. I think I would. I would rather have somebody who is messy on the outside that's faithful on the inside than somebody that has their suit and tie on, their Sunday best on, their Christianese smile. They know all the lingo, but they're always stabbing people in the back. They're always gossiping. They're always doing their behind-the-scenes stuff. Now, I would much rather take a messy drunk that's trying, that's trustworthy, to stand with me in a lion's den than somebody who thinks they have all their stuff together, but on the inside, they're crumbling. Paul writes to Timothy and says, I fought a good fight. Letting him know, it's not been easy. It's not for the faint of heart. 
It's not in my preaching. You can get a lot of good sermons online. Can I tell you, you can print off pre-made sermons. You can get up and regurgitate them on a Sunday morning that somebody else thought of and sound really spiritual. Well, no one knows what you did this whole weekend. You haven't prayed in six months. Every message you preach has been somebody else's that you just downloaded. Paul's saying, it's not in my sermons. He's looking at a younger, younger minister going, you're looking for formulas. And there's a lot of opinions about good works and good deeds, but no, real success, Timothy, real success is a fight and it's nasty. He says, I fought a good fight. Any fighters in this place today? Look at somebody and tell them, I want a good fight. Come on, somebody. Look at somebody else and say, I, I want a good fight. Paul says, I fought my way up. I fought my way to get to work. I fought my way in sickness. I fought my way when I was destitute. I fought my way when it was cold. I fought my way when it was good. I fought my way in, in, in when I was healthy. I fought my way in all these things. I fought my way when I was in the, in, in, at the house. I fought my way when I was alone. I fought my way when I was around crowds of people who love me. I fought my way when I was standing before governors. I fought my way when I've been stoned to death and rose myself back to dead alive. I fought my way when everything was great and everybody was kissing my hands. Paul says, I fought my way through life. I struggled through life. One of the biggest things that we realize is that we have to fight our way in our own mind. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, rulers, things that pop up in our minds. See, the thing is that the enemy wants to do his best to destroy you, but he can't. Come on, if he could destroy you, you would be destroyed. You'd be done. He'd take you out. He'd drop you like a bag of potatoes, but he can't. So what he does is he tries to get you to quit. His only way of success is for you to quit. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I lost a lot of good stuff. I lost friends. I lost strength. I lost courage at times. I lost time. I lost health at times. I'm sure he walked with a little bit of a limp every once in a while from getting stoned, you know. He got beat three times as many times as Christ. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Keep the faith. That's what he's telling Paul, uh, Timothy. Keep the faith. If you lose your job, keep the faith. If you lose a spouse, keep the faith. If you have to bury a child, keep the faith. If you have to downsize, go to a, from a big house to a single wide trailer, keep the faith. If you have to move in with your mama, keep the faith. If, you have to, if you're at your wit's end, you have no idea what to do, keep the faith. If you have to catch the bus, keep the faith. If you have to thumb your way all the way to work, keep the faith. If you're sick, keep the faith. If you lose your kidney, keep the faith. If you have heart trouble, keep the faith. Paul is saying in all these things, keep the faith. There's a lot of reasons to quit. There's a lot of reasons to quit. And what Paul is saying, you just need one reason to keep fighting. Just one. He 
Paul's looking at everybody here today saying, I'm not like your boss who will argue with you just so I can prove how powerful I am. I'm like your cousin that would argue with the tree because it's in the way. What I'm telling you is there's a reason that I fought this good fight. He says, from one old man to a young man, I finished my course. And I feel like I'm, I, I, we're living in a world <clears throat> that's become comfortable with just being incomplete. The dangers of living life of incompleteness is that you have three or four families, three or four different kids with different people. You'll have six jobs in six months because you don't like each one of your bosses. We're living in a world where we should just be happy that we're breathing. Living in a world that's looking for loopholes. So we've been on eight to nine diets this year alone. We set a goal in December as a joke, knowing by January 15th we're not going to have it. And let me say it this way living life without a purpose entitles me to be the minimum version of myself. Life without a purpose entitles me to be the minimum version of myself. Life without purpose entitles me to be the minimum version of myself. See, we stop pushing because things get hard and we quit. We stop pushing because it takes too long and we give up. Most of the time, we stop pushing because we have no focus and we let other things steal our attention. There's something new and something shiny, and we go after it. A few weeks ago, I was talking to the camps. They came in with, I don't know, like 18 dozen eggs. And, uh, and I said, man, y'all, that's a lot of eggs. And she's telling me this story, and, and I hope I don't butcher it, but more or less, uh, their, their chickens laid a bunch of eggs. And then she bought some new chicks put them in the pen, and watched the mother hens abandon their eggs. Is that roughly? Yeah, they abandoned their eggs. The problem was there was nothing wrong with the eggs. There was chicks inside the eggs. I think she said even they, they took candles to see if they were inside, and they were developing chickens inside the eggs. But they saw new chicks and chased after the new ones. This is the most... When she mo told me that story and just telling me what's going on, a lump hit my throat so hard. I've been chewing on it. I'll talk to the worship team about it. This is where we are. God is birthing something at New Life. He is. I can feel it. For, we for months now, something's been shifting. Something's been happening. We've had some incredible worship experiences. And one of the biggest things is that the enemy can't stop it. Can I tell you, we don't, we don't struggle and strive what we're doing we're just we're worshiping but you know what the biggest thing that could happen at this place is we get distracted and we quit chasing after his presence and this is what happens to so many of our lives is that we start something big 99.9 percent .9 of marriages don't start off with the hope of divorce they have a dream they have an idea 
This is where we're going to be together. We're in love. But somewhere along the road, distractions come, and we lose focus of what we're chasing after. And we battle between ourselves. This is the number one tactic of the enemy, is to get you distracted. He wants you to stop fighting the battles you're supposed to be fighting and chasing after chicks. No pun intended. Keep my metaphor, guys. This is what's happening in our world. How many times do we see people start something good, and they start something strong, but they don't finish? They quit. Maybe it takes too long, and they thought they'd be millionaires already, and it's not happening, so they quit. Maybe it was too hard and too, too difficult, and they quit. But most of the time, it's we lose focus, because as long as we have focus, Bob, we can push through the pain. We can push through the issues. One of the worst things is sometimes God gives us a glimpse of something to see if we'll stop chasing what we're after. Okay? Uh, Exodus. God's talking to Moses. I'm done. I'm out. I'll give you guys what you want. I'll give you the promise then. I'll send an angel. They'll wipe everybody out, and you guys can just go. I'm not going, but y'all go. That's what they wanted. They wanted the promised land. They wanted their thing. And Moses says, whoa, 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 if you're not going, I don't want it. But what happens in our world a lot of times is we go, I'll take it. I'll take the riches and the fames, the money, the raises, I'll give. I'll, I'll I'll take it, God. You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot of times about the struggles of life, and one of the things about struggles is that when we're struggling in life and we're struggling through, it it forces a lot of us to rely on Christ. And then things get good, and He gone. See, we find ourselves struggling. We can't pay our bills. We don't have food on the table. We get whatever, and we're praying, and God, I need this, and God, I need you, and God, I want you. And he looks at you and goes, hey, 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 here you go, here you go. I'm going to give you this job. I'm going to give you this job. You're just going to have to work every Sunday. I'll pray at home. I'll, I'll, I'll do my thing. I'll, I'll keep my faith. I'll, I'll do my thing. Never happens. It never happens. It never happens. I don't like the word never. It never happens. When you disconnect from a body of believers, you drop. Every single time. Every single time. I'm not saying you took a Sunday vacation and, and you missed a, 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 a Sunday. I'm saying when you habitually abandon the gathering of the believers, you drop. You can listen to a podcast every single day, all day long, but if you don't have right relationships, you're going to drop. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm just saying you stopped chasing after him and went after something else. At what point do we look at him and go, we're going to sacrifice God for some money? Let's be honest. We stopped the fight because we were sitting on an egg, and then all of a sudden we saw something shiny, and we went after it. And all the while, it was about to hatch. How long, Julie? How long did those would have hatched? A day. A day. Oh, that hurts even worse. A day. A day. 
You wait one more day to see your promise fulfilled, but you abandon every, all the days waiting, all the weeks praying, all the months sitting there, and you're going to abandon it one day short? Come on. One day short? A shiny object at the right time gets you to abandon what you've been sitting on for the longest time. Come on. I'm going to preach today, y'all. People say David wouldn't have been David without a giant. But can I tell you, it wasn't just a giant. There were plenty of giants. He had brothers. There were plenty of giants. David wasn't looking for a giant. He was in season and out of season ready. He was delivering food to his brothers, not looking for a giant. He had a promise. He had a promise. He was anointed king. How's that going to work? I don't know. But I got a promise. I get anointed king, sent back out to the field. I got a promise. There's a bear. I killed it. I got a promise. There's a lion. I killed it. I got a promise. I'm out here with a bunch of stupid sheep. But I got a promise. How many of y'all feel like that sometimes? David sat on the egg. He didn't move. He didn't abandon it. He didn't look and be like, you know what? Forget this. He didn't look at his dad and be like, you know who you're talking to? A future king. Watch your mouth. You go watch the sheep. No. He never sacrificed who he was for something else. He had a promise, and he sat on that promise, and he sat on that promise. He gets down to the battlefield, and he goes, what in the world is going on here? And they say, there's a giant named Goliath taunting us. Chew that boy, bitch. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Everyone's freaking out. What's he want? He said that if you send out your best and fight me, if, if y'all win, then they'll serve us. And if they win, we'll serve them. Ooh, that's, some steep, that's a steep fight. That's a big fight. Interesting. What's the king say? Well, the king said, whoever fights him and wins will get his daughter and never pay taxes again. Say what now? Yeah. So you're telling me if I fight this guy, I could legally be in line for a throne that I was promised? Well, yeah. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I mean, I'll do it. His brother's like, shut up. What is wrong with you? You just left the few sheep that we have to come watch a massacre? What is wrong with you? And he looks at his brother and says, is there not a cause? In other words, is there not a reason for me to do this? This may be my only chance. I'm not looking for a giant, but I'm looking for a promise, and that's the one that's in my way. See, what happens a lot of times is that we think David's just walking around. Hey, biggin, nope. You, nope. One of these guys are going to drop, and I'm going to get my promise. That's not what he was doing. It's not what he was doing. He was waiting. He was, can I tell you, sitting and holding and protecting your promise is a lot of work. It's a struggle. Don't quit. And David's holding on to it, standing out in the cold. It gets cold. In the rain, watching the sheep. They'd get lost. He'd bring them back. Over and over, day and day, month and month, he's holding on to his promise. 
I'm not going to quit. 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 And then there's an opportunity that aligns with his promise. I'll take it. What if you lose? I would rather die by his hands chasing my promise than to stay with nothing for the rest of my life. That's what he does. Is there not a cause? See, David's not looking for a Goliath. That man just happened to be the reason. The king could have said, any man that runs up the mountain and back, backwards, will get my daughter. He'd have ran up the mountain and back. See, we're always, we're, we're preaching these words about fight your giants, fight your giants. No, it's not looking for a giant to fight. That's what church does a lot of times. We're just trying to fight. We're swinging our swords at all these places and not fighting for the promise. We're staying busy fighting. We're saying all the things that we need to be saying. We're chasing that one, and we're chasing that one, and we're going after that one, and we're going, and what we're doing is we're just spinning in circles instead of making a move towards the right area. And what God is saying is, hey, stop wasting your energy. Focus on where you're going and attack the problem. Is there not a cause? David wasn't looking to kill a giant. That man just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Paul says, I finished my course. He says, I didn't finish yours, though. I'm not in your business. I'm not trying to get in your business. People who are focused on their own course aren't nosy people. They're too busy fighting their own issues. You want to know if somebody's actually chasing after something? See if they're worried about other people's problems. Because if I got time to worry about all your gossip, I ain't focusing on myself. I ain't got time for your drama. I'm busy trying to maintain my own sanity half the time. Paul says, I got into trouble. He says, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh. And he had to pray. He had to go through tough times. He says, I got depressed. You can read about that. He was discouraged. Paul got discouraged. There's moments where Paul prayed to die. But he's seen people healed and delivered and raised people from the dead. And he still couldn't get the own thorn out of his own side. Part of the issue in life is this. You'll never get to a place in life where you're not always attacking a problem. The contradiction of being powerfully outward and conflicted inwardly is it's enough to make people quit. Let me say this. Even Jesus struggled with quitting. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, <laughs> this ain't going to be fun. Is there, is there any way? Is there any way I... I can I, can I bypass this cross? Is there another way that we can do this? Father, he was so concerned and was so ready to... He was sweating blood. Capillaries are bursting inside of himself because of the tension and the pressure that he was... That wasn't a fight? That wasn't a fight? He may, when he got arrested, never fought one of the soldiers. He may not have fought... The, the, the guards. He may have fought the, the, the rulers, but you know what he was fighting? The urge to quit. 
the urge to quit. And he gets to this place and says, even though I want to quit, not my will, not my plans, not my purposes, but yours. And that's why Paul can say he saw the cross set before him, yet could see. He saw there was a cause. He could see your name. He could see your face. He could see your kids and your grandkids and your grandkids' kids and could look at it and say, it's going to be a fight, but it's worth it. I love good military documentaries. Uh, I watched one recently on uh, SEAL Team, especially going through um, BUDS, their, their training process. And they're going through it, and they get to this place that's called Hell Week, and Hell Week is exactly what it sounds like. I think half the time these people think hell would be a vacation. They could get that little Brit. But what hit me the most was what one of the instructors said on the interview, and he says, it's not the men that's benching 450 pounds that are going to make it. It's not the biggest, it's not the strongest, it's not the fastest that's going to make it. He said, every single person that we select to come through buds and has made it to hell, we physically can endure it. But not everyone's strong enough internally to endure it. He says, we don't kick anybody out, but you'll watch almost all these people will go ring that bell and quit. They make it through this last week, they're going to make it. It gets easier after this week, but they're going to quit. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find out who has one thing that they can't do. And that one thing they can't do is they can't quit. That's what they're looking for. The man that just can't quit. They don't have that trigger to quit. They look at life and say, I've come too far. I've trained too hard. I just can't quit. Then he tells us that the vast majority of Navy SEALs aren't six foot two, 250 pounds. They're average looking men. But those average looking men can't quit. They just can't quit. They've been shot, and they stay in the fight. They've been wounded, and they stay in the fight. They've lost limbs, and they're upset that they can't go back and keep fighting. They just can't quit. What would the world look like if we had a church of people who just couldn't quit? Who just didn't have that quit button? That was going to come in and worship their heart out? Every single Sunday. Not point their finger at somebody dancing up front going, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. But would nudge their teenager and go, I'm going to show you how to worship. What if it was looked like we had a group of people who looked and said, I just can't stop seeking those same people who've rejected me 50 times to come to church. I'm going to hunt them down for 51 and 52. Because you don't know at what point that one day is going to hatch. I'm not going to quit. What would happen if you didn't quit on yourself? If you didn't quit on your, 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 your family and friends, if you didn't quit on the people you've been praying for, what would happen? What would your world look like if you just didn't quit? If you disconnected, you cut the cable for that quit button, and you couldn't quit, but you had to keep going. And the struggles and the sickness and the good times when you're hitting home runs, when you're striking out every single day, when you're stressed to the max, when you're up at night dealing with anxiety, I'm just not going to quit. What would that look like? I dealt with some, 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 some anxiety, uh, man, years ago, and I was just up, just not in my stomach, just knots, 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 couldn't figure out what was going on. I called my dad, I said, can you pray for me? And he prayed for me, and you know what happened? I had anxiety the next night, and the one after that, 
and the one after that. What I'm trying to tell you is there was no magic pill. Called him back up. Didn't work, Dad. I was like, well, didn't say it was going to work. You just asked me to pray for you. I just prayed for you. I'm like, well, I thought it was going to work. You just asked me to pray for you, son. I just prayed for you. Like, I didn't tell you. I didn't make any promises. Well, make me a promise. You know what he said? When you're up every night dealing with anxiety, just worship. Just worship. Just worship. So the next night, I woke up with anxiety and I worshiped. You know what happened? Nothing. Next night, I had anxiety. I worshiped again. You know what happened? Nothing. But I didn't quit. And I realized halfway through that same week of every night waking up with anxiety, two things were going to happen. Either the enemy was going to get tired of attacking me, or my relationship with God was going to go through the roof because I'm up every night worshiping. Either way, I win. I may be tired. I may be exhausted. But man, I just had two hours with Christ in the middle of the night. No distractions. Everyone's asleep. Or I could just lay there and torment myself. What would happen if you didn't quit? That every time that something bad got going on, when you're dealing with anxiety, and you just hit the... I'm a, I've got a playlist ready on Spotify or Apple Music or Pandora or whatever you have. Boom, worship, I'm getting in the presence. That's what I'm going to do. Either A, you're just going to have an incredible relationship with God, or B, the enemy's going to stop. And either way, that's going to give you a testimony, which is going to give you an incredible relationship with God. <laughs> do you know what a testimony is? It's a story after you were tested. You want a testimony, you've got to go through a test. That's just where we are. But we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit. We're not going to quit. We're not going to quit on shiny objects when we're one day away from hatching. We're not going to quit because we got tired. We're not going to quit because it's been too hard. We're going to find that cause, and we're going to fight for it. This week, I'm encouraging every one of you, don't quit. Whatever it is right now that's tempting you to quit, whether it's relationally, whether it's economically, whether it's with God, whether it's with friends, don't quit. Don't quit this week. This week, don't quit. That's all I'm asking. This week. Next week, we're going to talk about how to be successful in the, in the battle. We're going to walk through that very practical steps on being successful in the battle. But right now, as we sit here and, and we're ready to close, I know there's been some struggles. I know there's been some tension. I know there's been some problems. And I know we've all, all of us, whether it's right now where we are or recent in our history or, recent, or, or coming up really close in our future, are going to have the ability to quit. Every person is tempted with the urge to quit. We all are. I've got Rachel up here, who's got a baby shower here in a few minutes. Can I tell you guys a secret? There's a baby coming, whether she wants it or not. She doesn't have the option to quit. She's going to have a mama. She's going to have a mother-in-law. She's going to have doctors and nurses or whoever's going to be there screaming at her to not quit. Because quitting's not an option. Take the option away. 
understand that the prize of holding this baby is so much more powerful than the pain that's currently hitting your body. Understand seeing the promise that you're chasing after, whether it's your kids, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's your health. That viewpoint of what that's going to look like is so much better than the hell week you're going through right now. It's going to be worth it, I promise. But with every head bowed, I know that people are struggling. I feel it. I feel the tension. But Peach, you don't know my story. You're right, I don't. And I'm not judging your story. I'm not judging your problems. I'm not judging your pain. I'm not saying that it hasn't been horrible. I'm not saying it hasn't been hell. I'm not going through all those things and watering it down. I understand, even though I may not be able to relate to your problems, I understand that you're going through it. The loneliness, the depression, the stress, the anxiety, the worries, the, the, all of those things. I felt it during worship and I still feel it right now. But I want you to understand that those things, while they are physically there, are also spiritually attacking your mind. Your battle is not with your spouse or your friends or your family or lack thereof. The battle is always going to be with who God's called you to be. The battle is always going to be there. And we're not going to quit. So right now, everybody in this mode of prayer, God, I just thank you right now that you are infusing us with vision. Vision of what it would look like if we were victorious. Vision of what it would look like when we see the end. Vision of what it will look like whenever everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. That God, right now we don't quit in the hard times until we can confidently say that we have finished strong, that we finished the race. We did everything that you called us to do. And whether you're here in person or watching us online, I just want you to know that God is with you, that he is for you in this. He has not abandoned you. He is constantly chasing after you and preparing a way for you. He is constantly wrapping his arms around you. We just sang that song from darkness into light. He's the light of the world wanting to bring light into a very dark spot in your life. Welcome him in to your life. Welcome him in to that dark spot. Welcome him into everything that's going on in your life, saying, God, here I am through my struggles and pain. I need you in this place. When you're at home tonight, this afternoon, find some moments to be alone. Cry out to him and be quiet and listen. Feel his presence today. It's not just here at this address. But God, we just thank you that this is the day that you've lined up for us not to quit. That we are continually chasing after your presence, chasing after who you are. And we just thank you for it. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.